silence does speak volumes at times when you're playing a game where somebody's just letting the gameplay and the mechanics speak for themselves. But the approach here is not necessarily very music heavy, but it's more about trying to create this like a whole audiovisual experience. Mm. Side quest accepted. So Badland, right? It went on to win like a bunch of awards. I mean, this game was, it had some pretty impressive staying power once it released. It's really interesting because I didn't put any pressure on how well this should succeed. I think the goal was just releasing a game on App Store and, and get enough money of that and maybe make another game. But uh, I think it was early on very clear that Apple was very much into it. When we first announced the game uh, in 2012, we immediately got an Apple contact. Mm -hmm. And we understand immediately how important this is. There is really no like plan B that what if Apple doesn't feature your game what then yeah. well then you're dead basically mm -hmm. and what we did was that we immediately went to London to them yeah. and gave them the iPad and, and talked about the game and I think it was re really a starting point for like a really good relationship with Apple and yeah when we released the game we were uh, featured as editor's choice we had a very good launch uh, it won uh, the Apple Design Award and at the end of the year it was uh, iPad game of the year and as I said before it was crazy that we were nominated as an action game with Grand Theft Auto 5. Right, right, yeah. But I think everything went really well with Badland back then. Mm -hmm. And back then, the free-to-play mm. model was already, like, rushing into mobile. And uh, Badland was a premium game you played once and so on. So making a game with that model and making a success that it was, it was, like, one of those last moments with, with mm. Badland and with its sequel two, two years yeah. later. I think Apple has Apple Arcade currently. And I think the Apple Arcade is the similar type of goal if you have a premium game. Then there are, of course, there's like Netflix games also. And as yeah, so there are probably more opportunities. But I think the key is still to have a good relationship with Apple, get their attention and, and mm -hmm. go from there, really. But overall, the mobile gaming industry, if, if I think about, I don't have experience about free-to-play, but I have experience about releasing the pre a premium game. It has changed a lot. Uh, yeah. But there still is possibilities there. And, and, and I think mainly because of Apple Arcade, uh, I just don't have any like personal experience on that. You'd mentioned Netflix. At first, I kind of wrote it off because I was thinking, you know, watching Netflix on your TV, I was like, nobody's going to want to play like mobile games or, you know, those the style of games that they would be able to support on their TV. But then I kind of thought about it and I was like, there's a lot of people that just watch Netflix on their phones or like they watch it while they're on the go or while they're out doing something. And having the option to have that gaming section within their service where you go and just play a mobile game while you're out doing something, actually, it makes a ton of sense and it probably will get very popular, especially with how large their base is right now. But you mentioned trailers. So you and I at first, when we, you know, we linked up and we started talking about this game, you had talked about the first cut of this trailer and how you released it and how it had initially gone. And then you had to kind of go back and take a closer look at it. Walk me through that one really quick. Break that down for me. This is actually very educational, uh, of course, painful story also. But I think the announcement trailer was very important. And I, and I thought that we should, you know, put everything we have, every, every cool thing that we have into that and and I started making that something like seven months before the announcement I started very early on designing that designing the shots mm -hmm. and overall I think the trailer is is really good but it's actually really bad and the idea is that the way I made the trailer is that every night that I, I made it I went to my TV room and the home theater and I watched what I've done for the day and and was always like super happy that this looks so cool and this is great and so on yeah. but then what happened was that uh, we announced the project and 
I contacted as many news sites as possible as, uh, and journalists and so on and very few answered and, and there was not much of anything going on. Also trailer didn't got much traction and I felt really like depressed and I, and I really had to like get into the, what led to this and pretty quickly uh, it was very clear that the trailer needs to be something that if you look at in your mobile phone you should immediately see what's cool in this game. Uh, it took like maybe 20-30 seconds to really get to the point because the trailer was all about showing everything cool they have and I made the recut like next morning recutting took like less than 30 minutes the video was 30 to 40 seconds and I downloaded that to Reddit and that was like the first like really good thing that happened because it exploded it went to our all it got like 1.5 million views in less than three hours and it basically got us thousands of wish lists and so on uh, yeah. and it was like a really great learning experience and also humbling experience in a way that I sort of thought I knew how this should be done and then you actually do it and you realize that okay I'm, I'm lost here and this is not how you do this and I think one of the key things was that it's not about how much work you do or how beautiful your you know work is it's all about making the right moves or you just have to understand what you are trying to say I saw an analytics for YouTube a couple months back and they were saying that most people drop off your video in the first I think it was two to five seconds if they yeah exactly feel like get to your point and then start yeah which is kind of mind-blowing that they, it's that you just make a decision that quickly and that instantaneously but at the same time when you think about it like you personally or me personally when i scroll yeah. through youtube or you know whatever you know right away whether you like the video or not and that's just like you know it's one of those back of your mind feelings you're just like oh it's going to be boring or like whatever I, I, I don't care about this video and then you instantly click away yeah but like you said about those first two three seconds when i recall the reddit trailer uh, the first cut is something that's not currently in the game even it, yeah. it's uh it's a character using the core mechanic the swapping mechanic but there's a black background uh because i realized that i could make much prettier background yeah but if people just see it rapidly on their mobile phone they doesn't necessarily focus on the most yeah they gotta like decipher important aspects which are the, the character and mm. his mechanic but when the character is bright uh, whatever he does is like bright explosions and stuff like that making the swap yeah. effect and everything is black on the background it's super precise uh what ha what's happening there but it's sort of feels like cheating in a way that it's so calculated mm. and it's not even a spot you're going to put in a game just like that because i already mm. i have the spot in the game currently but it has yeah. a beautiful background in it mm. so i i sort of cheated in a way but it's not like it's the most horrible scene you can imagine but still you need to really think about when when uh, marketing a game what's like the key issue what's what's the one key component you really want to show and then make it as clear as possible to your point like where you're saying you know you you took that black background to, to key in on the uh, on what's going on right and when you're actually in the game there would be a background there i think to a similar degree but in a completely different world you have like triple a games where you always see like the cinema the cinematic trailers yeah. right? and it's not really gameplay usually it's more just like the action sequences and like you know people always will comment they'll be like yeah but this isn't like gameplay they'll rip into it because of that but ultimately i think you know from a marketing standpoint you show that cinematic trailer and those like action sequences for the exact same reasons right you're trying to suck players yeah. in and keep them engaged 
make them think about it. I feel like the majority of developers do kind of do something similar and it's less yeah. about, you know, tricking the player and it's more about like just keeping them engaged and keeping their game in the back of that player's mind because ultimately when you're in the game, you expect it to have, you expect it to have a background, right? You expect the an action game not to be all cinematic. Like there's gameplay elements to it. You understand what they're doing and you understand once you're in the game is going to be different. Now, a decade ago, maybe that wasn't the case, but I think nowadays people understand that when they're like watching trailers versus playing games. It's just part of the marketing nowadays. Yeah, and it's like, if I think about when they first announced Fallout 3, mm -hmm. the, there was this zooming out from the radio mm -hmm. and I mean, the game is not about stuff like that, but it yeah. immediately, you were immediately there. You know, I'll say my favorite video game trailer of all time, just because of the way they did it, is Outer Worlds 2 when they announced the game. Because I remember, I think they announced it at E3 or Xbox Showcase or something like that. And when they announced it, I remember that it was like a camera panning out. And it was showing like, you know, it was, I think it was in space. And it was showing these different sequences where it was like, you know, there should be an action sequence here. And then it showed, I zoomed out further. And it was like, there should be a world here, but, you know, we haven't created it yet. So it was like leaning into the whole, like, people are creating their trailers and making like smoke and mirrors. And it did it really well. And it was like really, really funny and entertaining and I thought it was really well done and ultimately like yeah. it still kind of got you curious about the game and excited about the game but like it did it in this like really slapstick making fun of themselves way which was which was genius in my opinion but yeah. I always love that trailer I guess Call of Duty is a similar deal like the trailers are over the top and cinematic every single year they nail it every single time but they also know who they're marketing to and they know who their player yeah. base is and they're not necessarily trying to like reinvent the wheel each year they're just trying to cater to the audience they have essentially yeah now, now, now that you said that if i think about nhl or fifa or, mm. or call of duty i wonder if it's like i once wondered what if coca-cola wouldn't advertise coca-cola for a year would it yeah. actually have any effect <laughs> on, on the sales of coca-cola and the same question could be asked with, with this mm -hmm. i didn't know this until yesterday warzone 2 or i think it's just warzone overall it's but it's marketing budget right now is 200 million dollars just for marketing nothing else not game development not anything else just the market well, budget which is it's, uh, it's more than, than we have i think yeah right yeah. <laughs> i don't even know what you do with 200 million dollars i guess that's tv deals and stuff i'm always angry when i see those like big money trailers whether mm -hmm. it's film or or games when they have some like really great song mm -hmm. and they yeah. even might have like a, their own version of that song or remix that fits yep. for the trailer if i would have extra money and, and i would have to use it some way Absolutely. i would take some like legendary song and put it on. <laughs> I like that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Also an expensive idea. So you need the budget for it. Yeah. Very, very, uh, yeah. Very expensive. But talking about social media, right? So with your game specifically, you said you do it on Reddit, you know, and you're using Twitter and TikTok, stuff like that. What audiences have proven to be like the most engaged with your title? And how have you kind of leaned into that a little bit with this game? Well, that's, uh, that's a tricky question. I think pixel art is definitely something that like besides the gaming and the game mechanics uh, and that pixel art community is something that I, I've been leaning more and yeah. more towards. And I think it's also important that especially in Twitter, you notice that 
indie gamers promote their games to other indie devs and it's mm, I, I think yeah. it's at the beginning it's a good way to get some mm. some of that holding and, and get some reach and, and progress and so so on yeah. but I think at some point you need to transform that to more generic audience and maybe find more people there because there's only yeah. so much indie devs out there but there's actually more normal people out there yeah. so you I should would, really try to you know find some some of those things for example in, in Bionic Bay I've been really hard trying to think what sort of traits are something that would be like generally appealing to masses rather than okay. just for people who are interested in platformers or, or, yeah. or stuff like that and I think through art and pixel art that's definitely one way to reach people but then there's also ways to you know make posts about game mechanics that are more like easily understandable to everyone for example I had this post where I we have this button in a game where I can treat the character whenever I want make make okay. him a ragdoll and yeah. and I I made a post about it that what if we had this like random tripping the character can actually trip at any moment in the game I like realized and it, it was probably my most popular Twitter post like mm. ever it got like maybe 300k impressions or something like that mm. but I think that was a great learning experience in a way that that post didn't have like any like unique game idea or something like that yeah, yeah, and yeah. it also wasn't like outstandingly pretty or beautiful mm. or something like that but it was funny in a way mm. so they are not not like if you try to promote the game they are not like one singular rules that you must follow it is a good point when you talk about something like you know a video on reels that just like it has 400 and 600 views and it explodes I think TikTok is something similar where it's like you have tons and tons of views but the problem I think that content creators and developers have with TikTok is you have all these views but you don't have the analytics to back that up so you don't yeah. really know where they are or or how they're engaging or anything like that so it's just like it's awesome it's exposure and exposure is always good but you don't have the back end of that which is a struggle for you when you're trying to like leverage your title and give it to the audiences who want to see it because you don't know who that audience was and you don't know who wanted to see it which is unfortunate it, it's interesting I I tried the also the Facebook marketing mm -hmm. maybe once and I, I remember I, I've always thought and I still think that Meta is one of the most evil corporations yeah. there is and then when I actually went to Facebook and set up the advertisement and see all those possibilities that you have, you know, when mm -hmm. you have much to target. Yep. And I was like, this is insane. This is great. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you like, uh, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it, is, it is true that their uh, tools are best in the line, probably with Facebook like you said you can target behavioral types you can put Meta's pixel on your website and you can track the people that go on there then you can market to them specifically for Google you can lean into specific you know market regions and then you can track cell phone data and you can import that and like track based off behavioral types and there's like there's so many layers to what you can do with data which is you know, probably not great for consumers to hear, but it's something that, I mean, if you want something to be marketed to someone, you have that capability nowadays. And it's not just, you know, people seeing it. You can get return on investment where you can get clicks, you can get people engaged with your product where you can actually continuously get them to come back. And it's, and that's ultimately what you want, which is why I think 
TikTok has kind of a weak link there because you can get impressions, you can get views and likes, but are they going to come back and actually like wishlist your game? Are they going to play your game when it comes out? Are they getting the demo? Like, what does that look like on the back end? And that's ultimately what matters because impressions look great, but ultimately, what do they actually mean? As a marketer, I love it. As a consumer, I'm not a huge fan of it. So it's that weird double edged sword kind of thing where it's like, which do you value more and in what moment, you know? So, but we're way yeah, on top now. <laughs> I actually asked ChatGPT about Facebook. Yeah. Is it a good thing? Uh, is it a bad corporation? And, and it gave me some like pros and cons and stuff like that. And, and then I basically just asked him about what's the basic idea of the company. And uh, you got yeah. the same answer that many people say that the number one idea for the company is to make profit. Yeah. But I don't think that's the number one idea for the company. You, you should have like more values, more ideas than that. Right. I think of course it should make profit, but it should yeah. not be the like the single goal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I try to do games in the same way that of course yeah. I want this many people possible to buy my game but i don't want to make compromises so that i could yeah. you know maybe get more or anything like that it's it's important yeah. and it's somehow pure what you do you want it's 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 sacred almost yeah it is it is i think it's interesting to ask chat pg chat gpt something like that though because like that's a robot that is just using internet-based data to tell you something about a company so like it, it would be interesting to see their perspective on something like that you know yeah but, you can have like crazy conversation you should do right. a podcast with ChatGPT sometimes because I've had Maybe. some really, really interesting conversations with it. So. When you're creating this game from an artistic standpoint, how do you separate Bionic Bay from the thousands of other platforms that are out there? I've been in this like pretty fortunate situation where I, I've been doing physics-based 2D games for more mm-hmm. more than a decade already. I've noticed that already in, in Badland games, the, the game design was something that was pretty unique compared to any other game. So my approach for Bionic Bay has been that I will just, you know, build on what I've learned in the past and go from there. So that automatically sets it apart a little bit about other platformers. But visually, I think one of the key things is that I very rarely try to get inspiration from from other games. It's it's more about getting inspiration from films, uh, art, nature, photographs, uh, from wherever but but games. So I, I don't really play 2D platformers that much. Of course I, I make my homework and I'm being aware of those, but I don't have like lots of strict rules, but for, for Bionic Bay there are few traits that I, I try to follow and obviously what is the use of uh, light and shadow mm-hmm. uh, in a way I don't think many games have done in a way that the character is constantly going in or out of the shadows and it, yeah. it sort of makes this interesting uh, dynamic throughout the game one of the things that almost every platformer has is they are made with these 90 degrees angles or 45 degrees angles and I try to avoid that in a way that I want levels to feel like organic and just more interesting with Bionic Bay I have this idea of this decaying ancient world where everything is a little bit broken and so on because it just so much it just looks more beautiful that way to me at least now someone will play Bionic Bay and notice that there are 90 degree angles. Of course there yeah, are, yeah, because yeah, you need out. those yep. in many of those situations. But but the, the thing is that I try to avoid them and I try to make the, the world feel as organic as possible. You mentioned when you were making the initial trailer that you hadn't really gotten any sound design into your game at that point. You had to kind of physically create that for that specific trailer. As you're getting to the point you're at now, how important do you see sound design as being in this game? Because when I think of like visually beautiful 
beautiful platformers. Instantly, things that come to mind for me are also visually beautiful platformers that have beautiful soundtracks. We're not even platforms, right? Like just in, in general, like games, you think of Witcher's, you know, soundtrack, which is beautiful. You think of Ori's soundtrack, which is incredible. Like these like impactful, engaging, emotional soundtracks. Not every visually beautiful game has that. Obviously, each one, you know, they approach things differently. But for you, is something like that in the cards for Bionic Bay? Is that something you've thought about? Or how do you approach the sound design and then kind of the composition, the musical composition outside of that? I think it's very important that you actually feel that you exist in whatever game world you are. To me, like the constant soundtrack on the background is something that I really don't like too much. I see. I think if there's, if there's music, it should be like a special situation. It really mm. should have like a meaning. One of my favorite games is the first Tomb Raider from 96. It's actually used music very interesting way in a way that I remember when I started playing it, you're in like Nepal or, or some something like that and you enter this cave and there's only environmental sounds. And then when Lara Croft comes into like some interesting place, there's like a temple or something like that, you get some subtle composition of, of violin or something like that. And I, I thought when it actually happens, it means something and it, it never feels like it's just on the background or so on. So I think the same approach is, is used here that mm-hmm. almost all the sounds are environmental sounds but every once in a while you need to break that you need to get player into this like whatever uh, emotional state you want then I think music becomes more important and so on yeah but Bionic Bay won't be like a music heavy game in that sense that there would be like a theme to every level and, and you would hear that on the background and, and so on but we have a sound designer from Chile who has been great and uh, he's basically he understands what I'm trying to do here but I can see that he, he would like there to be more music and, and and I understand that completely but the approach here is not necessarily very music heavy but it's more about trying to create this like a whole audio visual experience mm, yeah. and use music when it really matters I do think you you do have a point where like silence does speak volumes at times when you're playing a game and you're like locked in on the moment and you feel engaged where somebody's just letting the gameplay and the mechanics speak for themselves. But another hurdle that you have to overcome with this game, which arguably when I see your game could potentially be one of the biggest hurdles for you, is your character size. Because the character in the game is smaller, which it is something unique to your game. So it has, you know, it has positives. But then when you think about playing this game on like Steam Deck or you think about playing it you know on other pc handheld platforms or as you mentioned when you're watching a trailer for the game you know the character is smaller so how do you approach that specifically that's also something that when i make the game and play the game it's it's never an issue but i noticed also when when i started posting clips online and so on Mm -hmm. and people see them with their mobile phones the character is very small so i need to tailor every every uh, social media post in a way that i have camera closer or i do Mm -hmm zooms uh, out where people first see the character and then we see the whole thing and so on and it's funny it's actually been affecting my way of doing the levels also mm-hmm. when implementing a core mechanic into our game the swapping mechanic it's very much uh, useful to have as much room as possible for a mechanic like that if you would have camera very close it would be harder to do stuff because you don't see where the attack object is and you constantly want to see the object you're going to swap so in that sense it's something that looks 
appealing, look, looks are unique, but it's also mechanically, it's it's crucial. I think the biggest issue is not the character size, it's it's the color of the character and what's on the background of it. And I think that's on level design. Uh, so it's 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 the clarity of the character is, is more about level design and decoration than it's actually the fact that it's it's small. And, and the biggest issue is not when you play the game, is when you actually promote the game. Yeah. Uh, that's when I need to really tailor the, the footage so that people actually see it uh, no matter what. Many have said that one of the key things that they like about Bionic Bay is the fluid character. And I think that mm. It is about physics, it is about animations, but it is also about this a bit weird combination of camera a bit further than you used to and, and character a bit tinier than you have used to. And this yeah. is actually also one of those calculated things in the sense that how do we separate our game from, from other games? All right, let's talk about, you know, the game itself, the story behind it, the gameplay, how it functions, the things of that nature. Kind of dive into that a little bit for me. If I think about Binding Bay, we have this idea of this swapping mechanic, which was the idea of uh, our programmer, Jiang Fong. And basically, I'm trying to think what kind of world, what kind of character would use that. Yeah. I think it was important that you actually have a, a real human being as a main character, because mm. When stuff happens to real human, it's you feel you you can uh, you can really relate to that, and it's more fun that way. When uh, normal man gets decapitated, it's much more fun than robot gets de decapitated. Uh, someone has said that why is it your character a woman? And then I say that it's not fun if a woman gets decapitated, but it's funny if a man gets decapitated. Uh, so, Fair enough, uh, yeah. but because we have this like a regular man and stupid things happens to him he gets vaporized electrocuted his, his limbs can get torn out and so on so mm -hmm. i think he's the only type of human that mm -hmm. can endure all that and it, it might still feel fun a bit like a jackass or buster key buster keats and films yep. or something like that so basically those are the reasons why i think it was important it to have to be like this regular regular guy and and the idea that the amount of stuff that we want to uh, explore try weird things uh, in in platform Formers or in platforming in general, uh, we have so many those silly ideas that it's important that we set it in a world that sort of explains why such things can happen. So that's why the yeah. word is. I'm not going to say what the place is because it it will ruin the story. There will be like a great uh, M Night Shyamalan type of Planet of Apes type of uh, <laughs> twist in the end. But yeah, that was basically the idea of that whole world that there should I be see, like yeah. crazy weird devices, weird uh, enemies and and, and scenarios and anomalies and that's why it has to be some type of mm. fantasy world as you're creating a game like this from a technical standpoint walk me through mm. the development style you chose and then how that impacted you specifically as the artist and the overall abilities and capabilities really within your game as you made it in Bionic Bay we have basically a 3D scene where we have 2D planes so yeah. there's no 3D models or anything like that but it's a 3D dimensional scene where I can fr freely set up the death of the assets and so on. So I think that gives you enough freedom to do visually basically anything. We have this standalone editor. The game is made in Unity, but we have yeah. a standalone editor which I make the levels with. And basically the whole uh, project started in a way that I, I documented what we need for an editor to make yeah. quite a crazy good platformer game. I documented the features for, for the programmers and, and it took like maybe six months or something like that to 
get the first version of, of that editor, which had like the basic stuff in it. You have this uh, object selector where you can choose any object, you can scale them, rotate them, copy them. Mm. And basically we started from there, adding features in it. And now we have lasers and teleports and crazy stuff over there that we can do whatever comes into mind. But I think yeah. the most like crucial uh, tools in, in our editor are something that I never actually have had in a level editor where the visual tools that we can basically do a lot with. It's not like it's a Photoshop uh, in, in a level editor, but it's, it's almost like that. We can really add just basically all the assets as much as we want. Uh, we can use them as, ma as masks. We can animate them, uh, you know, artist colors, uh, stuff like that. There are a bunch of tools for me to basically use Use the level editor as a Im image editor almost like like a photoshop type of tool so yeah. this editor really has like a great combination of tools that i can do mechanically like gameplay ideas which are of course physics based ideas in a physics based world but then there's the other side which is purely decorating it as as pretty as possible also unity has probably all of those already there in unity mm. but the idea for make a unique editor was that we have only the necessary tools and we can also make custom tools and we can also make tools that are specific for this game yeah. uh, and then just push play and test and then go back to editor mode and, and make the edits and just test it as, as effectively as, as, as possible. We're getting to the end of 2023 right now. What does next year look like for you and what kind of like pillars do you have laid out that this game is going to be hitting as we progress? Well, I think we're in great position in a way that most of the editor itself is is like, well, it's never quite ready because you obviously get new ideas and so on, but the fundamentals yeah. are there. So it's very effective uh, tool to make levels. We have three words uh, or, or sections in Bionic Bay and around 20 levels and, and I'm just recently been finishing uh, making the art style and art assets for the last world so nice. i'll be starting making those levels in, in this fall and we have lots of new features planned there so it's uh i feel like every time when i start making this new world i almost feel like i'm starting at making a sequel for for binding bay because every time i'm little little bit more experienced assets mm -hmm. are a little bit better then yeah. i look at the old assets and i'm like do i need to make this again <laughs> uh, but, but the idea is that basically i think it's important that every one of those sections feel like fresh and unique that you could basically build a whole game around one of those sections but when you have three separate sections which are pretty unique we have a pretty unique game also but the idea is that we are starting to make the last section this fall and we also have plans for our online uh, mode in the game uh, mm. whatever that will be we have to see it but already when we uh, released the demo in, in next best there were lots of people who really liked the game in in a sense that they would really like to do speed running with it mm -hmm. and it's true because it's not like if you think about game like super mario or something like that and then you have a physics based game there's yeah. so much more depth in, in that kind of world it's, it can also be annoying because it's never quite the same but it yeah. actually can be like something really interesting in if i think about making like speedrun versions of those levels or parts of yes. those levels and i think with the combination of these two things we have a really like a special platformer uh, i think always if something is unique you're afraid maybe this is like too unique and it goes too weird and True. there is a game like this because no one wants a game like this but but yeah we we are still pretty confident especially after the release of the demo that we have something that people actually enjoy we are in you know very good position currently in a way that we know that we have something that works now just let's finish it let's polish it uh, let's add content into it and that's yeah. basically our our next year